four hours before the gig, we got a call to play for All Time Low because the opening band that was on tour with them was sick. Uh, so, and half the band lived in Detroit, and uh, I was the only person that lived in Lansing, and we all had to scramble to get our gear there, make sound check, and play this gig that 4,000 kids were at. Yeah, so we were all unprepared. We all left our jobs not knowing if we would come back to our jobs because it's like, you don't get that opportunity often. Uh, but so we all were just like, hey, I got to go do this. I'm leaving right now. <laughs> but uh, it was uh, probably the most fun gig I've ever played, uh, and it was the most nerve-wracking because we used to um, open our shows with a song called Playing Pretend, which the intro guitar part is me playing. So the lights turned on, and I could just see a sea of people, and I had to start the song, and I was real nervous. Welcome to the Juxtapose Journeys podcast. I am your host, Eric Spitz, and in this episode I talk with Jason Marr. Jason currently does guitar work for Rachel Curtis and Tioli, formerly known as Young Pioneer, but has a resume that includes bands such as Elliott Street Lunatic, Lights and Caves, and James Garden's full band shows, along with filling in occasionally for other groups when they needed a guest over the years. Our conversations range from his different side projects to musical influences, memorable shows, and overall interactions with other musicians in the industry. I could tell pretty quick during the interview that Jason had a ton of interesting stories working with different musicians that covered a diverse assortment of genres. So just sit back, relax, and get ready for Jason Marr's journey as a musician. Welcome to the Juxtaposed Journeys podcast. Super happy to have you on. Thanks for having me. Yeah, yeah, of course. So, first of all, I see you recently recorded the guitar heard on Rachel Curtis's single, Strobe Lights, that was released on February 19th. So, what was that entire experience like? So, honestly, recording the new Rachel Curtis album has been the most interesting uh, recording sessions I've ever done in my life, because none of us are getting together as a group. We're all doing this individually in the studio and putting the song together uh, because of COVID times. So it's been it's been really cool. Um, myself and uh, and Rachel both have you know some health problems and getting together and it, none of us want to risk getting COVID to make sure that uh, you know everything's going smoothly. We've been doing studio sessions all separately and then piecing it together. So it's been a really interesting way to hear how an album is coming together. Yeah, no that that would be really interesting and and that's I guess kind of the golden word in the the covid age is just interesting of just right, <laughs> adjusting right. to the times and and things like that but no that makes a lot of sense and yeah. um yeah uh it almost just reminds me of like a um oh gosh like what postal service used to do I'm pretty sure that's like they used to just send their their pieces back and forth to each other and um I was just like reading a random story about them from years ago and I just thought that story was super interesting and it's like it's almost like they were adapting to the COVID times before the COVID times. <laughs> yeah. See, to, like to think about doing that five years ago, is like, I've never not been in the studio without my band. And then this time it's like, I'll just go into, and maybe one of the other guys is there just to make sure that our parts are matching up correctly. But uh, it's just been really cool. We uh, So I, I recorded this song. It was produced by Tyler Terrell, who um, he's the bass player of Rachel Curtis's band. Uh, and he kind of came to her with this idea of this song and they pieced it together. And then I came in and added the guitars on, uh, in Tyler's studio. Uh, and then, uh, we actually sent the, all the sessions over to uh, a guy named Kurt out of Lansing and he did all the mixing. Uh, and it just came together so well, but we actually started this song before COVID. Uh, and then, uh, or sorry, right at the beginning of COVID, we started this song. And, um, so it's been a while since we recorded it. And then we're just the past year trying to figure out what's going on. If we're going to play live shows, what we're going to do, uh, we just eventually, uh, Rachel decided that she's just going to put out songs, you know, here and there over the next year until we can get back to a normal routine. Yeah, no. And, and that makes a lot of sense too, for sure. Um, and I, I see you've collaborated with Rachel, I mean, pretty much since 2019 with several other projects and stuff. So I guess, how did you guys first both meet and what made you decide to work together on these different projects? So I'd known of Rachel because of her American Idol history, but I'd never actually met her, um, her old guitar player, Josh, was a good friend of mine, and he used to play in a band called The Rival. Uh, they played with my old band, Elliott Street Lunatic, all the time back in the day. We were like best friend bands, always playing together. Well, 
since those bands have long moved on, Josh was playing guitar for Rachel. He ended up getting a little too busy with his personal life and, uh, and then recommended that she reach out to me to take over. Uh, and I actually, as soon as I heard the songs, I was like, this is pretty cool and a style of music I've never really tried before. So, uh, I, I, I took it in and, uh, have been playing with her ever since January, 2019. No, that's, that's awesome. And, um, it's, it's so funny cause just reading her bio and everything, I mean, she's got such a lengthy resume of things. I was just trying to wrap my head around everything, yeah. but, um, yeah. Uh, now in her bio, I know she describes herself as a, a contemplative folk and daydreamy smoky pop artist. quoting that specifically from her bio. And huh. I actually, I hadn't heard that yet, but it's perfect. <laughs> I know that I thought the same thing because I wanted to do you know re- more research and stuff beforehand. So I listened to her music and discography and everything, and I was like, "That is a really accurate description <laughs> of her style." Like, it's and it's so funny because you know I've done music journalism for years, and I still find it difficult to categorize different bands or try to describe them or place them in different genres. But I'm like, she she nailed it though. That's that's such an yeah. accurate depiction. <laughs> it's it's so cool performing for her too because uh it's not like uh you know in like the rock bands and indie bands and everything i play in like i'm up front trying to entertain the crowd and have, like you know jumping around a whole lot and move in and stuff and like, like this band is her we're just there backing her voice when her she has a phenomenal voice so it's just been uh it's been a cool thing that she's actually let us start to you know write with her and, and help you know perf- make sure these new parts are just awesome and work well with the song and uh, she's just been really cool to work with. No, that's, that's super cool. Um, and I was, I was going to ask about that too, because kind of what I was gathering is that she's at least in the past and everything, she was primarily the songwriter and then she gathers some people for live performances, um, and assembles a band that way. Um, so it sounds like she's kind of shifting towards letting, um, the collaborators have more say, I guess, in the songwriting process. I think so. I mean, I, I still think that she comes to the table with, what she wants in mind, but is definitely uh, willing to give us a little more control over parts uh, as long as it makes sense. Yeah, no, that's, that's super cool too. Having Tyler as a producer just brings a whole new feel to the music. Like, I don't know if you've listened to the difference between like strobe lights and dandelions, but they're two incredible songs that sound completely different. Yeah. And, and, and yeah, that definitely makes a big difference to um, who you have producing it. And it's, it's funny cause that's a, Stuff I feel like, you know, I, I've been getting a little more familiar with it over the years, but it's stuff that primarily flew over my head for the longest time. But, uh, like, Emery, years ago, I interviewed uh, Joey Sturgis, who does a lot of, like, you know, um, recording studio sessions and everything. And he was while he was working with the band Conquer Divide, and I, like, went to his studio and interviewed him and picked his brain on stuff. And, yeah, like I said, I think a lot of it like flew over my head for the intricacies of it, but it's I came to really admire it more after because it was stuff I kind of took for granted before. And he was telling me about all the albums he worked on, like albums I used to listen to all the time, some like Devil Wears Prada stuff and everything, and yeah. how he like you know, and and just the the stories of working with all those different bands was just super interesting to me. <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's a cool thing. You never really think about the intricacies of of putting a record together. Like you just think of the band. You don't think about the twenty other people involved. Oh, for sure. Um, I know he did like his own custom like you know compressors and everything like that. Like he was really like all about the finer details, and I just admired it so much just because like. Like I said, it was something I never really thought much about before, but um, right. he had such a passion for it. And I mean, the the work was great that he did. And, you know, it was, it was great to pick his brain a little bit and kind of see how the whole process works. Yeah. But um, yeah, and I, I saw that Rachel won the 2020 Top of the Town contest for Lansing City Pulse for Best Folk Artist Slash Band and took second for Best Country Artist Slash Band. So how did it feel to kind yeah. of be a part of that process? Um, that was cool. I've been nominated in that in the past with other bands I've been in, but I've never won it. I've placed uh, second and third a couple times with my old band, Elliot Street. Um, and I believe Lights and Caves placed in it once or twice. But um, yeah, no, it was really cool to win it. Um, it was interesting to be uh, nominated in categories I've never been nominated in before. Like, I would have never, you know, 10 years ago, I would have never been saying I've been playing in a folk slash country type band which uh, we still don't even think of ourselves as a country type band, but we get looped in with a lot of those other musicians. We played the country night of common ground uh, in 2019 and um, and it was a blast. No, that's super cool. And it's, it's so funny how we can just 
get on those different paths, like, you know, almost on a whim or just, uh, it, it, you know, things you never even envisioned you'd be doing years ago. And then all of a sudden you're kind of in the mix of it and <laughs> just having a good time. <laughs> right. <laughs> so good though. Um, and I know you also, you know, balance playing guitar until late, formerly known as Young Pioneer. And I know Young Pioneer had more of an alternative sound that reminded me a bit of on Berlin and Tioli has more of that pop sound. So I guess what ultimately led to the, the name change and the stylistic shift. So, um, young pioneer, uh, was, I was asked to join in 2016, I believe. Um, and that was when lights and caves was ending and we were playing shows together a lot with young pioneer and the guys were, they were losing their, one of their guitar players. So they called me and said, Hey, let's, let's see if this works. Um, but yeah, so uh, I uh, I didn't have my hand involved in too much of the alternative writing stuff, but um, I, one of my friends uh, is a producer, and um, he I, him and I just randomly started talking. He was like, "Well, I'd be interested in having you guys come out to the studio and, and seeing what you can do." Um, it's John Espy. He's the drummer of a band called Red Jumpsuit Apparatus. Oh yeah, and I, I he, think I've heard of them. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he. Uh, he hit me up and was like, let's see what we can do. So uh, we all went to the studio and started writing these songs and uh, they were cool and they still had that like alternative rock vibe and stuff. Uh, and he was just like, Hey, why don't we try a more pop type song? Your singer has an incredible range. And I think I, you know, we can write these like Justin Bieber type pop songs with a band. Uh, and we tried it out and we were just having a blast in the studio writing these like I don't want to say easy pop songs because they were difficult to write and it takes a whole like different mindset to uh, add in all these electronic elements than just putting together a band song. But um, yeah, we started writing these songs and they started when uh, we started performing them live and we noticed the crowd reception to them was just 10 times the reception that, you know, our old songs were. And we used to have a great response with the old songs too, but uh, it kind of just transformed us uh, into this, this pop type band. We, uh, we went through a, a fallout with uh, a couple of the members and we kind of had some rearrangements and different things happening. Um, and then, then it was just um, the Ben, uh, the singer, Bob, the bass player, and myself kind of continuing the band. Um, we hit up my friend Dion, who, uh, who drums for us now. He was the drummer of uh, uh, a lot of uh, hip-hop artists and uh, gospel groups in town. And he also drummed with me and actually Tyler from Rachel's band. We all played together in James Garden's hip-hop band. <laughs> So it's like kind of this weird full circle thing, but, um, yeah. And then, uh, yeah, I actually never thought about that till right now, but the bass player in James's band was the bass player in my first band too. So all these people I, I play with regularly, we just kind of molded into these other projects. So, uh, so yeah, um, red jumpsuit ended up taking us out on tour in, I think 2017. Um, and we were playing about half and half some of the new pop songs and some of the old alternative songs. And, uh, even the uh, the you know the people that would be at that shows at those shows there for punk music or heavy music would come up to us afterwards and be like, "Yo, I don't listen to the kind of music you guys play, but you're phenomenal." Uh, and it just kind of turned into this thing where like maybe we should see where this goes and try it out. And uh, yeah, we've actually uh, we got to uh, play with All Time Low and Set It Off and uh, all these other you know great bands uh, coming up to us and saying, "Yeah, your guys' music is incredible." And we just kind of kept following that path. No, that's, that's so cool though. And, and, um, yeah, no, like I, I love young pioneer stuff and, um, Tioli stuff like equally. I mean, they're both very different, but I, I, you know, I, I gravitate towards both in different ways and they're just both so good to me. So yeah. that was, that was the ultimate decision in switching to the name Tioli was just like, this is completely different than anything we've done before. So why not just start fresh? We have new band members a new style of sound. We, uh, you know, we'll put it out this way and, and just pretty much start a new band. So we released, uh, I think, um, need to know was the first song we released early last year. We released three songs off our upcoming album, but with COVID and everything, we, we put a halt on it cause it's so hard to build your brand when you can't be out there performing and, and, and letting people know your music exists. So we have a bunch of songs ready to release. We just haven't been able to put them out yet. Yeah, no, that I actually had that question lined up and stuff too, because um, just getting to experience you guys live at a at a house show. Shout out to Nate Stock, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and you know, at actually seeing you uh, open for Red Jumpsuit Apparatus at the Loft, and I remember hearing some of those live that you know you can't find on Spotify or any of the other streaming platforms that are just you know so good, and I've just kind of anxiously waiting for for those to come out, which I knew they were probably in the works, but no, that makes sense that it's uh just kind of at a standstill with things, but they're 
slowly going to be processed. Yeah, it's just a little bit of unfortunate times, but it's uh, it's going to be cool. And we've uh, uh, Ben and Bob and I have had some new songs in the works, so you know it might be a brand new song you've never heard coming out next. We we don't really know what's going to happen now. We're just trying to make sure that we're relevant when we can start playing again. But it, right now, it just seems not worth it to to invest so much in something when we can't you know keep building and touring and all that and just just relying on the internet for people to hear our music. No, I, I agree completely. And I feel so bad for some of the bands that, you know, just started to get a footing or something like that and release something like right before COVID hit. So they can't even go on like their, you know, album tours or anything like that. Right. Their latest right. release. Like I'm just thinking of um, like Hot Mulligan released something like right around when COVID started and they had to cancel like all their. Yeah, they were doing so well. And I, I actually I saw I saw they did a Halloween show for Riot Fest, uh, like an outdoor distance thing so they're still doing some cool things but i like we it's only going to come here and there right now until you know everybody decides to to get vaccinated or whatever needs to happen for the entertainment industry to to kick back into full swing yeah definitely i mean yeah and they've still been active for sure i've noticed like i mean at least on their social media pages and they've been you know selling merch and just kind of um putting themselves out there, I guess, a little bit and reminding people they still exist and everything. I mean, I don't yeah. think anyone's really forgotten necessarily. But um, yeah, we we decided yeah. to hold off on social media and everything. We're just essentially treating it like a break uh, while yeah. while we figure out what happens. Yeah, no, for sure. And that's, that's totally understandable because it is just a very weird world right now with everything going on. But um, yeah. no, and uh, something I was kind of thinking about the other day is uh, – I almost compare, you know, the stylistic shift almost with, with Young Pioneer and Teoli and just kind of going in a more pop direction. Like, it reminds me of a lot of, like, the evolution of Amorosa in a way and how they, like, essentially released a pop album for their, their last album. But it's just, it's so good. And it's like, I'm not even mad about it. Like, it's just worked so well for their style. <laughs> I, I really need to check that out because I haven't listened to it. Oh, it's so good. But, yeah. Uh, but, like, uh, set it off and... Uh, um, all time low both did that too. They put out much like pop heavier records than they have in the past. Um, but I think my favorite example of that besides Amorosa is I'm a, I was a huge fan of bring me the horizon and then they put out Amo and it made me an even bigger fan of bring me the horizon. Cause I was like, now I can listen to whatever song I want, whatever mood I want from the same band. <laughs> I know it's, it's yeah. so wild. And I, I feel like that, that meets so much, um, I guess, adversity from some people, like longtime fans, you know, like that they may get yeah. mad or say that they're selling out or that they're just, you know, I don't even know. They'll, they'll come up with every excuse under the sun, but it's like, yeah. you know, at, at the end of the day, I mean, like, but still good music and everything. It's like, yeah, like be with them, like support this change and everything. Like, I feel like it's just kind of an evolutionary process. Yeah. Yeah. I know. I'm sure, I, I'm sure, you know, bring me the horizon doesn't want to play Chelsea smile for the rest of their lives. Like they're growing <laughs> right. up They're They're in their thirties now, not their teens. No. So but, true. And, and yeah. yeah, I mean that, that definitely happens as uh bands and everything get older. It just, you know, I guess kind of the nature of things, but yeah, no, so true. Actually thinking back to it, um, uh, the record release. So Amaruso actually played, uh, a show in, at the Pike room. Um, it was one of the last concerts I went to before COVID and everything that I think about it. Um, but that was December of 2019 and they played peach club in full and it was just so much fun. Like it was literally just, I mean, it was just like a big dance party. Basically it was just nothing but pop songs and just, everyone's just having a good time, just vibing and stuff. And it was just so much fun. <laughs> yeah. Pop shows and metal shows are my, they're just, they're just the most fun shows to go to. Yeah, you really get caught up in it, and it's it's kind of surprising because yeah, it's like you know I don't go to a ton of pop shows. Like I don't I don't know. It's not like I I am opposed to them or anything, but it's just um, you know I usually just go to like a pop punk show or alternative show or something like that. But um, you know, just don't go to pop shows as often. But I always just have a blast at them. Like I remember, yeah, this was years ago, but I saw Hello Goodbye, and I was just like having such a blast, and like it, it, you know, it's just very like, you know, poppy, just dance vibe type things. I think that was, I believe that was also at the Pike Room too. But uh, yeah, it was just such a fun time. And I was thinking like, why don't I go to more shows like this? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I went and saw Taylor Swift, and it was incredible. Oh, so good. <laughs> 
So crazy. But um, so anyway, you, I mean, you clearly have a wide musical range. So I guess who are some of your top musical influences? Um, so if I were to tell you my, probably my top three favorite bands would be um, Coheed and Cambria, uh, Weezer, and Bring Me the Horizon. Nice. Very solid top three. Yeah, I've loved Weezer ever since I was a kid, and I don't care how cheesy and dumb their music they put out now is, I still enjoy it. No, so true. Um, yeah. And I, I feel bad because, uh, you know, I I know obviously they're, they're big hits and everything, but um, I, I haven't really, like, sat down and, like, listened hardcore to, like, a, you know, a Weezer album and everything. And, but I have so many friends that rave about them, and I don't know... You know, I don't have any excuse for it, I guess. I just <laughs> never really did for some reason. But uh, I definitely have to make a point to do that, especially because I just did some um, trivia over Zoom <laughs> earlier in the week. And one of them was a Weezer question to because they were asking to put some of their albums in chronological order. And, you know, they're all colors, basically. So I was like, oh, yeah, man, uh. <laughs> <laughs> um, we ended up getting it, though. I mean, they were there were some good Weezer fans and I had a rough idea, but it was just like. Why don't I yeah. sit down and actually listen to their albums more? I have so many friends that just rave about them. <laughs> well, I think that you should, and everybody listening, should listen to the Blue Album from front to back. I believe it came out in 1994. And still, I listen to this album at least once a month today. Oh, wow. Uh, and it is just a perfect nerdy album to listen to with just great guitar parts, great solos, great melodies. Um, and uh, in my opinion, there's no bad song on that record. Uh, and I can listen to it from front to back and, and enjoy it just as much every time, which is a rare thing for records. Directly following this interview, I threw on the Blue Album, partly because I was embarrassed to admit I've never given this monumental album an honest listen before. Afterwards, I can see why it's held in such high regard by Weezer fans. Tracks such as My Name is Jonas, Buddy Holly, Undone, The Sweater Song, and Say It Ain't So I was already very familiar with. But Surfwax America is a very pleasant surprise and has since become my latest jam. No, so true. I mean, just because, you know, I'll I'll sometimes get obsessed with an album for a little bit. And then, you know, once the next greatest album or something of the next year comes out, because I like to just stay on top of like anything new that's coming out. You know, my, my interest in that album may eventually fade or something like that. And I'll just kind of forget about it and play some other things. But no, I, I agree. It's really rare to find one to where you just continuously go back to it, no matter how much time passes on and everything. So, and actually, one of my close friends, now that I think about it, um, yeah, like the Blue Album was definitely like his favorite as well, like Undisputed. So, I think that's a great place to start. It's pretty widely uh, accepted that Pinkerton and the Blue Album are their best two records, and everything else is just meh. Yeah, but but I I still love everything they've put out, and including the new record they put out earlier this year. It was really cool and unique. It had a, like a thirty-eight piece orchestra as their backing band. Oh wow! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> they're, but, they're getting really uh, ambitious and creative. <laughs> yeah, sounds sounds a lot like Magical Mystery Tour Beatles type stuff, but it's not the best stuff they've ever done. But it's an interesting listen. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Um, no, that's that's so cool though. So I'll definitely have to make that a priority. I mean, all I do all day working from home is just uh throw on music or podcasts, you know, so I, I have no excuse, but you know, to throw it on. So I'll definitely have to make a point to do that tomorrow. <laughs> For sure. Um, so good. Now I know you've kind of answered this already, but um, so how overall have you been adapting to the strange world of COVID? So, you know, have you done any experimented with any live streams or socially distanced events or anything like that? Uh, so Rachel's band did a social distance event back in the fall. Um, and it was an outdoor thing in downtown Lansing. Uh, and they would, we would play for a half hour. Another band would play for a half hour. Then they would clear the crowd and we would start it over again for a new crowd. So we did that. Uh, and that was kind of cool, but, um, and it was packed and there was a ton of people watching, but, uh, Again, with gigs and everything, there are so few and far between right now that that was the last gig I played, and I'm used to playing almost every weekend. As for like live streams or everything, um, we did a live stream for um, oh a festival down in Detroit, and I can't remember the name of it, uh, but we did a live stream for that, and oh, it was Arts, Beats, and Eats. Oh, nice. I yeah. like the name. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, so we did that, and that those were the only two things we did last year, Teoli, uh like like I said, we decided to just treat this as a break, so we haven't done any live streams or anything like that. We talked about it a couple times, but just didn't really work out how we'd want it to. Yeah, and that's totally understandable, especially if you have to record, you know, 
things separately or kind of meet separately or, or go from different. Yeah. It's the logistics of it right now is definitely complicated. <laughs> yeah. But um, so. I also, I also kind of worried that like it was such a popular thing to do for the first couple of months that people got bored of it or didn't want to watch it anymore. So uh, it was just one of those things where it's like, yeah, let's just, let's just see what happens. See if there's actually a demand for it. And uh, we had a few people reaching out to us asking if we were going to do it, but we decided to hold off. Okay. Yeah. No, and that, that makes sense. Um, but, uh, yeah. Uh, so do you have a favorite venue or event you performed at overall? Man, anytime you get to play on a big stage is cool. I think my favorite show I've ever played now would be, um, we actually got to play at the Wharton center at Michigan state university four hours before the gig. We got a call to play for all time low because the opening band that was on tour with them was sick. Uh, so, and half the band lived in Detroit and, uh, I was the only person that lived in Lansing and we all had to scramble to get our gear there, make sound check and play this gig that 4,000 kids were at. Um, wow. and <laughs> yeah, so we were all unprepared. We all left our jobs, not knowing if we would come back to our jobs. Cause it's like, you don't get that opportunity often. Uh, but so we all were just like, Hey, I got to go do this. I'm leaving right now. <laughs> But uh, it was uh, probably the most fun gig I've ever played, uh, and it was the most nerve-wracking because we used to um, open our shows with a song called Playing Pretend, which the intro guitar part is me playing. So the lights turned on, and I could just see a sea of people, and I had to start the song, and I was real nervous. So awesome. Yeah. And going for a circle, Playing Pretend can also be heard in the little jingle beforehand. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So crazy. It's just so, it's just so catchy. It's so addicting. Yeah. I miss playing those songs. We don't really play them anymore, but <laughs> yeah. maybe, maybe we'll throw in some throwbacks when we come back and start playing some shows again. Yeah, no, for but, sure. That would be awesome. Like I said, I mean, I love both stuff equally as much and just, um, and it's so funny. I think I've mentioned the story before too, but I first found out about you guys, uh, through an interview on impact 88.9, the MSU college radio station. And it was like a mix between an interview and, and playing just certain acoustic songs on air live. And I was just like really vibing with it. I was like, man, this is so good. Like, um, you know, <laughs> it, uh, ben, I was like, man, Ben has like such a good voice. I, I mean, I didn't know his name at the time, but I was like, man, this singer's really good. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. His voice is incredible. It's cool playing for Tioli and playing for Rachel because like there's just so much ability in the talent of those bands. It's cool. Yeah. No, that would be great. Do you ever... Uh, do you ever find it difficult to, I guess, adjust to the musical style of who you're working with? Um, I, I think the most difficult time I had adjusting was was uh, probably when I started playing with uh, Lights and Caves. Because I went from playing just strictly like alternative indie rock, and then they were a little bit more like progressive, kind of Circus Survive type, uh, like harder indie rock. Um, and, uh, just switching to that kind of style was just an interesting way to get used to, but doing that and then moving into playing with a hip hop group and playing with Rachel's group and playing with, you know, a pop group. It's like, I've kind of tackled it all now. And I, I do fill in gigs with cover bands and, uh, I can really just vibe with about anybody I'm playing with and just lock in the groove with, you know, the drummer and the bass player, making sure that everything sounds great. No, that's, that's awesome. Um, and I feel like it just kind of breaks up the monotony, too, of just being able to bounce back and forth and just try different things. Yeah, yeah. And then the whole playing and cover bands thing is just like a thing to do on the side for fun. You just people call out songs and, and you just play them. Oh, that'd be so that'd be so much fun. Yeah. Um, I think I've heard about uh, different events where they'll do like live band karaoke. And I feel like that would be so much fun to do. I mean, obviously, <laughs> they're not doing it right now, but <laughs> like, right. Yeah. Um, eventually one of these days, I think that would just be so much fun. <laughs> yeah, no, I just saw any chance I get to play. It's like the style of music these days don't, doesn't even really matter to me anymore. It's like oh, cool. I get to go be on stage and do what I love doing. Yeah, for sure. Totally. Um, so now what's the furthest you traveled to play a show? Um, so I've traveled all across the United States playing shows. Uh, but the furthest I had to drive, I think was, we played in Grand Rapids one night and then Boston, Massachusetts the next night. Oh, God. <laughs> and that, that, was a, that was a far drive. Um, we've also done the drive from Denver to Flagstaff, Arizona, and that's a pretty far drive before. Um, or, or like starting out a tour in Denver is like a 17-hour drive from Michigan. 
Um, but yeah, the, the, um, just those long drives are so tired, but I think the, the most brutal one was driving from Grand Rapids to Boston, Massachusetts, and we couldn't go through Canada cause not everybody had passports. So we had to go down and around. We hit the venue only maybe an hour and a half before we had to play. So we barely made it. Oh God. <laughs> Just driving nonstop and then have to rush when you get there, man. That's, yeah, I was gonna say like, yeah, that's that's definitely a drive because um, like I, I've done I've done the Boston Marathon four times. I think then the the first year I I flew out there um and then wanted to get the whole Boston experience because I'd never been there and everything and um you know just had a blast. But then after that, I I kept wanting to turn it into like a destination trip, so I I drove there. Or my family and I did and everything. So we went through Canada the second year and, you know, did Niagara Falls and everything like that. And just kind of did it because, you know, we don't really get to see Canada too often, um, at least up until that point. So I uh, thought it was a cool segue and everything. But then after that, we made a point to go through the States because we just love the New England area and stuff. But yeah, it definitely adds time going through the States for sure. And I think that's... Jeez, I think it's still, gosh, I want to, I want to say it took like, I was like maybe 12, 14 hours at least. Yeah. It's a drive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah I think it was like 16 from Grand Rapids. Oh but yeah. I could, I could be wrong on that, but it still was just a long tiring drive for, you know, four people crammed in a van. Yeah, that, that definitely would be. Um, so was it just one of those things to where you, you had an opportunity to play somewhere cool in Boston and just couldn't turn it down. So you're like, we're going to figure out a way to make this work and just, yeah, we had, we had some friends out there that invited us out to play and then we made a, a, a little mini tour out of it. So we started in Grand Rapids as like a, a you know, just a, cause we weren't a, you know, a famous band or anything. We had to make some money to, to get to places. So we started in Grand Rapids as kind of like a kickoff. Uh, make a few bucks and then drive to Boston. And then uh, we got a call while we were in Boston to play at the uh, Highline Ballroom in New York City uh, the very next night with um, a band called Carousel. And uh, they're a cool, like, indie pop rock band. Um, I don't even know if they're still around anymore, but that was a cool gig. We got there, and um, the night before, Lady Gaga had done a secret show there. And, like, Paul McCartney was doing something there the following week. And it was just like, cool, we're playing on the stage where these really big artists are also doing, you know, private and secret shows at. And that was kind of like the first time I was like, man, I've, I've, I'm able to play on some of these stages that, you know, some people I look up to are playing on. And that was God, that had to be like 2011 is at least 10 years ago. Oh, that's, that's so cool though. Um, yeah, it's kind of just kind of a surreal feeling. I imagine it's, uh, it's funny cause, um, you, you mentioned Carousel, and at first I was getting them confused with Carousel Kings, which I don't know if you know who they oh, okay. are, but um, I, I interviewed them years ago and, and had a good conversation with them and st- still follow their music pretty closely. But it was like, yeah, I was like quickly getting them confused. I'm like, no, wait, they're not the same band. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I don't know if Carousel still exists anymore, but I remember their name. And I remember their show and I remember that night. It was really cool. No, that's so awesome, though. Oh, that's that's so cool. Um, so... How, did, how I guess, how did it work for touring at that time with some of those bands? Was it just kind of like a, you know, word of the mouth taking opportunities type thing and just kind of figuring out a way to make it work? Sounds like it was a lot of one band saying, Hey, I'm going on to do these shows. Do you guys want to come support us? Or, you know, something like that. Uh, and then, you know, we would fill in the gaps by playing with some bigger bands here and there whenever we could. And, uh, you know, I've, I, you know, since then I've been able to we've played with 21 pilots and AWOL nation and the bare naked ladies and Ben folds five and, uh, you know, all time low and, you know, just bands like that. It's like, it's just been really cool. The, the, like the progression over the last 10 years, getting to do all this stuff. No, that, that is seriously so cool though. That's awesome. Those are definitely yeah. some big names. Um, yeah. Do you have a favorite, I guess, moment or, uh, I guess starstruck moment or surreal moment of just getting to, just kind of shoot the shit with uh, some of these bands or anything. Yeah, actually, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to say this and I don't know. I mean, chances are he'll probably never listen to this, but back in 2010, I believe maybe 2009, we played a show at um, Max bar in Lansing, Michigan, opening for the deer hunter. Uh, And at that time, 
Act Three had just came out, and they were just one of my favorite bands to listen to. I absolutely loved them, and then we got to play with them, and we didn't sound anything like them, but it was the coolest experience. And we used a lot of harmonies in our music at that time, and so did they. And I was talking with the singer Casey afterwards, and we're just you know sitting, uh, standing on the patio outside Max Bar. And uh, he's talking about like, well, I have this studio in Boston. You guys should come out and, you know, track a few songs if you're ever interested. Uh, And I was like, oh, cool. Yeah, we should definitely do that. And I hit him up down the road. And at that point, he'd actually moved out to uh, California out in Los Angeles. Um, And we ended up going out to L.A. and recording a full album with him that released in January of 2012. Uh, And that's, you know, one of my more proud moments was being able to release a record that one of my idols had recorded and produced. But the funny part about this whole story is after, you know, two weeks of working with Casey in the studio, I realized that his personality and my personality did not mix well. Uh, and we just, uh, he was just hard to work with and I didn't like working with him. So it's kind of one of those stories where you, if you hear this, the, the phrase, uh, you should never meet your heroes. That was kind of like, like a perfect example for me. Cause it was like, I just didn't really like him, but I respect I respect him a lot and his music is great. No, that's, that's so interesting. And I, no, I I love the stories like that too. I mean, I guess the good, the bad, the ugly with, with, with everything with that too. And that was something I kind of experienced as well, just like interviewing different musicians and getting to pick their brains a little bit. Um, Just, you know, bands I used to just idolize and listen to a lot in high school. And it was just kind of cool getting to to know them a little bit more on like a personal level and kind of just see their, their different quirks or how their personality actually is. Yeah, no, it was, it was fun. Uh, and like that experience, I would never trade for anything. Cause that was, that was the first experience I got to go like produce a major record that, you know, wasn't released on a major label or anything, but it was a, a professionally produced record. Yeah, no, that, that would be seriously amazing. Yeah. yeah. Um, it'd be, I know it's one of those things yeah. you can't exactly turn it down or anything and you just take it for the experience for sure. Yeah. I think, uh, probably my other favorite memory is, um, we were recording at Blackbird Studios, Young Pioneer was, um, down in Nashville. And Blackbird Studios is owned by uh, Martina McBride's husband, John McBride. And it's a world-renowned studio. But uh, one day, I walked out of the studio and looked to my right, and I was like, is that Nick Carter? And then I look over, and I see some other guys walking up, and I'm like, hey, guys, the Backstreet Boys are outside. <laughs> That's so cool. And uh, we ended up hanging out and meeting them. Uh, and, you know, it's just like, one of those funny things is like we just recorded in the same studio that the Backstreet Boys were recording in next to us. <laughs> and uh, f- and uh, we found out that Foreigner was recording uh, some stuff in the other room, too. So we actually met all the guys from Foreigner. And it was just really cool. Um, we got put into one of the rooms and they, uh, they showed us a, a surround sound mix of Thriller that they'd done in their in a surround mixing room in studio C at Blackbird. And it was so cool to listen to a song that you've heard a million times in a way that you could never hear it. Oh man. That's, that's so cool. That's, yeah, that's such a great story. Yeah. <laughs> just, I, just cracks you up. Just walk outside. It's like, Hey, the Backstreet Boys are here. <laughs> yeah. No, it was funny. They were super cool, super nice, and talked to us for a little bit. And then uh, they were in Nashville for the CMA Awards or something, and then they, they hit the studio afterwards. Okay, nice. Yeah. So crazy, like just so many different things intertwining and just getting to to meet some interesting people along the way. That's yeah, <laughs> that's so awesome. Um, man, yeah. Uh, so would you probably put that as like one of your favorite, I guess, recording studio experiences? Or do you have like a certain recording studio that just you – you really loved working in. Oh, that was definitely the coolest studio I've ever worked in. I don't think anything would ever top that at this point. Um, maybe if I got to go record at Abbey Road or something. For those who are unfamiliar, Abbey Road Studios is in London and is arguably the most famous recording studio in the world. As you may have already guessed, the name is synonymous with the legendary work of the Beatles, who worked with EMI producer Sir George Martin and recorded 190 of their 210 songs at the studio, according to the website. The studio has rich history spanning from the wild experiments of Pink Floyd to iconic recordings from Shirley Bassey, Aretha Franklin, The Hollies, and many more since they opened back in 1931. But uh, I also, uh, we recorded Lights and Caves records at Downbeat Studios in Chicago, and that experience was super cool too, just because it was this abandoned warehouse with like all these little small things inside somebody's business, somebody's uh, workshop, uh, and then 
on one of the floors, a full blown recording studio that nobody would ever know was there. Uh, it was super cool, but, um, it was, um, uh, Mike Gorvier's studio. Mike Gorvier played drums for a pop punk band named Every Avenue between 2003 and 2009 that was first formed in Marysville, Michigan. He ended up leaving the band in 2009 to focus on Downbeat Studios. Okay, nice. Um, do you still keep in touch pretty regularly with some of these bands you used to tour with or anything? Uh, I'd say the most regular person I keep in touch with is um, I talk to Nick a lot from Youngblood Hawk. Uh, he was their drummer. He's just a super nice guy, and he's he's helped me out along the way. But uh, he's actually drumming for, uh, besides them, he drums for Bush now, which is super cool for, you know, a band I grew up listening to as a kid, and now he's their drummer. Yeah, that's that's insane. Wow. Yeah, I, I do keep in touch with uh, um, a few people, yeah, and they're, uh, they're uh, like, you know, for the most part, they're just as normal as you or I. They're just, you know, they just make a lot more money than us. <laughs> <laughs> so true. <laughs> No, that's, that's so awesome. That's, that's something I've learned too. I mean, just, um, you know, interviewing these different musicians and things and, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's so cool. Cause then once you just kind of break that barrier a little bit and just start talking with them, you realize like, wow, like, <laughs> you know, yeah. just another regular person. <laughs> All right. Um, so let's see. Uh, and I know you have your own fishing channel on YouTube as well. Uh, can you speak a little bit about that? <laughs> Yeah, uh, so fishing is one of my favorite things to do. I absolutely love it. It's uh, it's my buddy Tab Wakeley's fishing channel, um, and I just get to be a part of it, and uh, I get to be on a lot of the episodes and uh, help out with him, you know, from now and then. But it's called uh, Real Michigan Anglers, uh, and him and I just go around, or he goes around uh, fishing for all kinds of, you know, whatever whatever we want to target that night, whether it be catfish or walleye or salmon or steelhead or pike. We just go out and try to catch them, and uh, it's been really successful. Um, we've gotten some cool sponsorships from lure companies and stuff. And, and, uh, and it's, it's funny cause I'm used to like getting recognized around the area as a musician from people who have seen our bands and stuff. Uh, but, uh, to get recognized, uh, at like sportsman's warehouse as, Hey, I've seen your videos. is <laughs> just kind of funny. <laughs> I know it's like, you know, different worlds colliding, I guess. <laughs> yeah. No, that's so funny. I think when you first mentioned that as well, it's it it almost like took a second for me to process. Like, wait, so you just say fishing channel? Like, it's just like, I don't know. I yep. almost like didn't expect it for some reason. <laughs> yeah, no, it was. Uh, it's awesome. No, that's so cool though. That's that's awesome. Uh, do you have any other interesting side projects going on right now? Um, not particularly. Just you know, just working and. Yeah, writing music whenever I can, uh, and fishing whenever I can. Nice. No, that's so cool. Um, do you ever find it difficult to balance, I guess, all your different side projects, your your music life, your fishing life, working life? <laughs> well, the nice thing about that is the fishing life kind of takes place in the, you know, in the mornings, and the music life takes place in the evenings. So uh, you can kind of do them both in one day if you wanted to. And uh, it's funny, whenever I fill in with this one cover band I've played with a few times, uh, their guitar player is uh, the guy who runs that Michigan Anglers channel. So we'll make a night out of it before we go play a show at, you know, some random place. We'll we'll head out and hit the lake or the river nearby first and then go play our show. Nice. <laughs> no, that's so cool. Uh, I, yeah, I feel like you're able to kind of block your schedule in a pretty efficient way with that. <laughs> yeah. No, that's awesome. Around this point in the conversation, Jason and I started talking about the state of Arizona. Turns out he had a ton of interesting stories revolving around the Grand Canyon state. Uh, Elliott Street's guitar player, Eric, his parents used to live in Scottsdale. So uh, when we would travel through or play in uh, in that area, we would always stay there. Um, I really came to like Flagstaff, if you've ever been there. It's kind of like Michigan. Uh, it's up in the mountains, and it, it's got a very similar temperature to Michigan, and I, I believe there's like moose or elk even there. But... Uh, it's really cool. We played a, a show one night at Hotel Monty, and uh, it was supposedly this like haunted hotel with a venue connected to it. And, uh, you know, we drove from Denver that night to Flagstaff the next day. It was like a 14-hour drive or something. And uh, we get there, and they put us up in a, in a hotel room, and we're staying there, and we were like just exhausted and almost miss uh, performing because we're just sleeping. Uh, but then we get on stage and we're playing and uh, pub crawl comes through at the same time as we're playing. And they're all dressed like Waldo from where's Waldo. 
Uh, so it was really funny being so exhausted, performing your songs and looking out in the crowd and every couple people, there was just a Waldo standing in there. So it was just like, it was a really funny thing that I'll never forget. Like just looking out and seeing Waldos. That's, that's fantastic. I, I love that story. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's, and it's so funny. You mentioned Flagstaff because, um, I'm actually going there in July for a friend's bachelor party. Um, yeah. she lives in Vegas, but they're going to road trip from there to Flagstaff, which is I think like three hours or so. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I, I absolutely love Arizona. I went out, I did a solo trip out there a few years ago and just absolutely fell in love with the state and just had such a fun time, but I never really explored Flagstaff at all when I was there. So I'm really stoked to like go there specifically. And then I'm like, I'm going out there with my brother and then I'm just going to drag him around to all my favorite places that I loved in Arizona when I was there before. So I made like an entire itinerary out of it. Like I'm, I want to go back to the petrified forest and like explore Holbrook kind of go like, you know, check out Winslow. I haven't seen Winslow yet. And I want to, um, stand on the corner of Winslow, Arizona, just like that Eagle <laughs> song and just do that whole touristy thing, I guess. <laughs> I, I really want to see Sedona. I haven't been there and I've heard that it's just beautiful. Oh, Sedona is so great. I, I didn't extend like an extensive amount of time there, but I went there to hike devil's bridge and, oh, it's, it's so cool. I mean, I went, um, I feel like I went at the perfect time of year too. Cause it was, like October range. So it wasn't excruciatingly hot or anything. And like, um, and Sedona is a pretty like busy city, especially in the summer and stuff, but it wasn't too bad when I went there, but I, I pretty much just went there to hike devil's bridge. And then I was like, and then I just went back to, I think I drove all the way back to like the Phoenix area or something like that. Like, um, but just wanted to, to do that for the day. And yeah, no, it's a, it's a really cool city, but I didn't get to explore like it hardcore anything with their shops and and all that but they had a lot of like cool things that i passed by nice nice yeah i I can't wait to check it out and get to know that state a lot more yeah no it's 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 so much fun um yeah like i i've just been watching a bunch of youtube videos on like best things to do in arizona just taking notes and all that i mean like really preparing maybe maybe it's all the you know months inside and everything like that and well, the the plan right now, hopefully, anyway, is that I, uh, I'm able to you know get the vaccine before I I go off and stuff, and able to get on the schedule for that, and then yeah, just uh just go and explore the state a, a bit, and yeah, I'm super excited. <laughs> I'm happy to announce that since this episode was recorded, I've been fully vaccinated for COVID. Yeah, no, it's gonna be awesome. You're gonna have a blast, and uh, there's so many cool things to see there. Uh, but yeah, if you get a chance to go there, check out Hotel Monty. If they'll, if you can go inside and check it out, it looks like a haunted hotel. And it's funny because I think I've seen that in one of my videos and in my research and stuff. I just remember haunted ho- hotel Flagstaff, so I I can't imagine there's a ton to choose from. <laughs> yeah, but I could be wrong. <laughs> but uh, no, it looks super cool, and I wanted to make a point to to check it out because, and it just looked like it it was in a really cool area in Flagstaff too. So. Yeah, I'm I'm super excited for that trip for sure. Is there anything else you want to add or touch on that I may have forgot to ask? No, no, I'm just yeah, I'm just here to talk. <laughs> <laughs> nice, yeah. And no, you had so many awesome, interesting stories and stuff too, so it was it was really great to to hear some of those that, you know, I wouldn't have known otherwise. I mean, even in my research and stuff, just you know, it sounds like you're you're very well traveled and uh and have a lot of have met a ton of interesting people involved in a lot of cool projects, so yeah, oh, that's that's so awesome. My favorite favorite stories and interactions to have. Yeah, no, I, I feel like whenever I tell stories to people about, oh yeah, that's the time I met this person, or you know, such and such. Eventually, people are like, okay, now you're just making this all up. <laughs> it's, like, yeah, it's like, how much of this is actually real? No, <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's been fun. I, I definitely like to live life and uh, and get out and just be the best version of me I can be. Uh, and I love meeting new people. Yeah, no, for sure. I've I've identify with that so much um the exact same way i mean i think that's why i i'm so partial with with traveling um in general it's just i love meeting new people i love hearing their stories i mean it's main reason why i decided to start this podcast (laughs) i mean like uh yeah and and i like blogging and telling stories but you know i i mainly i've come to realize i mainly just like hearing others and just you know interacting with people um there's only so many interesting stories i can tell before i just 
I don't know. I don't want to say get exhausted with it, but it's just, um, I was like, uh, I want to take the spotlight off myself for a little bit. <laughs> for sure. But, um, yeah, no, and it's, it's cool though. And, um, so I guess in these strange times, it's allowed me to pursue these creative endeavors a little bit more, um, you know, finding creative ways to occupy my time, which I have no issue doing. I fill my time a little bit too much most of the time. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> I just love to tackle and do any sort of random side projects or something, but no, that's so good though. Awesome. Well, yeah, once again, thanks. Thanks so much for taking the time to sit and chat with me about all this. Um, where can people find, I guess your music or, you know, the fishing channel or anything like that? What are the best ways to contact you? Yeah. Uh, Rachel Curtis, if you just look her up on YouTube or, uh, Spotify, Facebook, uh, Tioli, T I O L I stands for take it or leave it. Uh, you can just search us on so, uh, any any music platform, YouTube, uh, anywhere you can hear our music, all those social media sites. Uh, the fishing channel is on YouTube as Real Michigan Anglers. That's R-E-E-L, like the fishing reel. You can find my fishing page, my personal page, under Fishigan underscore Jason on Instagram. So good. No, that's yeah. awesome. Yeah, well, no, I, I wish you the best in um, all these different endeavors and uh, – making the move out to Scottsdale and everything. And um, I guess uh, all these different side projects and stuff you got going on with your music and stuff. So yeah, no, I, I wish you the best with everything. And so good once again to chat with you. Yeah, you too. Thanks, sir. Thank you so much for tuning in and checking out the show. Links to all of Jason's pages can be found in the show notes. If you like what you heard, please make sure to subscribe and leave a review for the Juxtaposed Journeys podcast. Any feedback is always welcome and appreciated. If you're an entrepreneur, creator, or live an interesting lifestyle, send an email to juxtaposedjourneys at gmail.com with a brief description for a chance to be featured in an upcoming episode. The Juxtaposed Journeys logo was designed by Darius Norwood. The website was designed by Elise Benner, and music has been provided by Young Pioneer. Editing, mixing, and interviews are conducted by yours truly, Eric Spitz. Thank you for listening, and remember to never stop exploring.